Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva, and you are listening to the PCOS Diva podcast. And today I want to talk about a subject that I think many women with PCOS can relate to. I am a recovering perfectionist, and I talk about this in my blog, and I know that many women with PCOS can also place themselves in this category because I hear from you um, from my blog comments and private coaching and Jumpstart program. I think we feel like we are never enough. We find that we don't want to accept ourselves until maybe the acne goes away or we lose some weight or um, we feel less anxious or maybe get a new job. But I think at the core of healing is learning to accept yourself and love yourself where you are in this moment. And six years ago, I stumbled upon a wonderful little book, and it really helped um, in me, helped me in my journey towards self-love and self-acceptance. And it's called Beautiful You. And I'm thrilled today to be talking with the author of this wonderful book, Rosie Molinari. And I just want to welcome you to the PCOS Diva podcast, Rosie. Oh, Amy, thanks so much for having me. I'm really honored. So I want to just tell listeners a little bit about you. Uh, you are a radical self-acceptance champion, which I love, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But Rosie is an MFA, and she uses profound questions and wholehearted connection to empower people to treat themselves well so they can connect with their talents and passions to authentically and intentionally live their purpose and help heal the world. She's the author of Beautiful You, A Daily Guide to Radical Self-Acceptance, and Haija Americana's, I hope I said that right, um, Beauty, Body, Image, and Growing Up Latina. Rosie teaches at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She serves as a National Dove Self-Esteem Project Educator, offers workshops and retreats, and speaks on self-acceptance, body image, self-care, media literacy, the Latina experience, and intentional living around the country. So let's start by defining what is radical self-acceptance. Perfect. So... For me, um, I like to start first talking about self-love. Um, and in an ideal world, I think everybody would be self-loving. But one of the things that I've realized in my work is that the concept of self-love is really uncomfortable to some people. And it's mm. for a litany of reasons. Um, part of it is that perfectionism piece that you're talking about. And part of it is maybe um, what their upbringing was around this idea of where self should play a role in your life. Some of it's faith-related, some of it's cultural-related, some of it's just ideas around language. Um, but whatever the tension is, the idea of self-love makes a lot of people really self-conscious. And so having self-love be the ideal destination for folks um, can feel really inauthentic. And so mm-hmm. people say, well, I, I'm not, I can't be self-loving, so I'm not going to choose a relationship like that at all with myself. And so what I really like is to talk to folks about this idea of self-acceptance. And for me, I like for folks to imagine a line, and it's this continuum. And on one hand, let's say the left-hand side is self-hate, and on the right-hand side is self-love. 
and that in the middle is self-acceptance. And it's this place where a woman can understand that she has worth and power and dignity simply because she exists, that her worth, a woman's worth doesn't have to be earned, it doesn't have to be proven, it just is. And you talked about that, Amy, in your intro where you were talking about like just learning to love yourself right where you are, and that's what self-acceptance is. Now, one of the things I want to be clear about is that I don't think that practicing and embracing self-love is arrogant or self-impressed or anything like that. I think it's great, but I think this can be a semantics issue, and mm-hmm. I don't want semantics to keep people away from a practice that's really good for them. And so for me, talking about self-love and encouraging people to embrace I mean, talking about self-acceptance and encouraging people to embrace self-acceptance is really about finding an accessible way for women to build a positive, healthy relationship with ourselves. Um, and so put really succinctly, I think of self-acceptance as a position of neutrality about the self. And it's rooted in our decision to not have an adversarial relationship with ourselves. My work doesn't have to be earned. I am not bad or ruined or imperfect for anything that I do. Um, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with me. In fact, I'm fundamentally right simply because I exist, because I, just like any other person on this earth, was put here for a purpose. And so for me, it really is this idea of recognizing that your worthiness is your birthright, just like anyone else's worthiness is their birthright. And that becomes like this fundamental underpinning to self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. I, I know for me and my journey, too, is learning to embrace who I authentically am and not right. trying to be somebody that I'm not, which I think I spent probably in my 20s and early 30s trying to be somebody else that I thought I would like. <laughs> but now I really embrace my strengths and what makes me uniquely Amy. And um, there's something really appealing when you can be authentic. Um, and for me, that was a big part of my self-acceptance journey as right. well. Right. Oh, authenticity. Yeah, I think that's the perfect example of self-acceptance. It's just sort of stepping into your authenticity and saying, this is sort of how I show up in the world, and it's neither bad nor good. It just is. I tell my college students a lot that we spend so much of our adolescence and early adulthood trying to shield or hide or mask what makes us unique. And then later in our lives, we finally get to the point where we're like, well, this is what I have to offer. And so one of the things I encourage them to do is to think about going ahead and embracing what they have to offer as early as possible. Like how young can we be when we decide that we're not going to get in our own way? And that's really sort of this concept of self-acceptance is, like, how, how can I decide that I have value to me and to the world because I exist? And it doesn't trump anyone else's value, but it's also not less than anyone else's value. Right. Right. It, and, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach that to my kids because wouldn't it be wonderful yeah. to shorten the learning curve for them? Right. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and that's, I think, the point. And I do see with my students, like, that they're willing to have these conversations and really engage in it 
um, at 18, 19, 20 in a way that I would probably have been terrified to do at 18, 19, and 20 because it would have demanded such vulnerability just to say the words. And so that gives right. me a lot of hope. I feel like there's plenty we can do um, if we're earnest and authentic in our efforts to not just help ourselves but to create a whole new foundation of self-understanding for generations to come because let's be honest there's so much other work that needs to be done in the world that if we can if we can check this one off the list then great we get to tackle some other stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know i bet you have a story you know doing this work in the world which really is so important um there must be a backstory you know how did you come to a point of self-acceptance you know, there there is. I think you te- you end up teaching what you most need to learn, and right. so I will try to condense this as as neatly as possible. Um, mm-hmm. and those who really want to read it, they can you know check out Beautiful You or my blog and and get more of it. But the the short of it is, I'm Puerto Rican, and my family moved to the states when I was two, and we moved to the south, and I was the only Latina around, and I think that I constantly felt a really profound sense of otherness. And some of it was around ethnicity and some of it was around social class. And, um, and But it was just a struggle to sort of find my place. And so for a long time, my place was, can I be as good as possible so that I'm as respected as possible so that the world can unfold for me in a way that I hope. And and as you know, that, that just gets, paralyzing and can ultimately just ultimately lead to um, profound pain, whether that's external, internal, a combination of both. And so that was sort of the reality was that I began to realize that being as good as possible all the time didn't actually shield me from feeling um, the loneliness that I felt or make me feel better like I hoped that it would. And I just remember having this conversation with a friend in college and saying something along the lines of, you know, struggling with, with my idea around my weight. Like, it's interesting now to look back and be like, oh, bless your heart that, that you, you know, <laughs> were consumed with that. Um, but struggling with my idea around my weight and saying something, and she said, well, you just can't have it all. Um, and I know that she thought she was being helpful to me. And I remember thinking, gosh, I don't have anything. Like, just like both of our perceptions were so painfully present in that moment. And I had this moment where I thought, I don't want this to be what my life's about. Like, I don't want at the end of the day to have how I physically look be what's what's, what's consuming me. And it was just this moment where I was tired of the same conversation with myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just decided I had to have a different conversation with myself. Now, it wasn't that easy to make the switch, and we'll talk more a little bit about um, how to make switches like that. But I just remember that was the moment where I thought, I've got so much more to give this world than a particular size waist um, Mm -hmm. or a particular length hair, and I want to start to give that. And that, for me, has been... The thing that has led to my central philosophy, which is this, I really think, I mean, a lot of people think of me as a body image activist, 
And what I know about myself is that I am an activist in general. I really care about the condition of the world. And what I've realized is, what I believe is that every single one of us is here for a purpose, that each one of us is here to um, be a part of a solution that this world needs. And what I've realized is that the reason why there's so much suffering in the world is partially linked to our own relationships with ourselves. And if we don't have a good relationship with ourselves, we can't go out and do the work we're meant to do in the world, which means it can't heal. And so what I have come to is that my work is really based around this idea of helping people reconcile their relationships with themselves so they can go out and do the stuff that is really urgent in their lives that feels like I've got to be able to offer this to the world um, and makes them feel really purposeful and, and on, you know, and really passionate and on purpose. Um, and so those, that backstory is where my aha came from, and then it has driven what I've tried to do from, there, from then. Mm-hmm. I think that's why your book just resonates and your work that you do resonates with me so much because – I think of PCOS Diva and the work that, that I do as helping women move beyond the pain mm-hmm. and struggles of PCOS so that they, in turn, can live the life they were meant to live and be able to shine their light you know, without PCOS holding them back. And that, that self-acceptance is just a, a, a really important piece of that. And um, I'm often recommending your book, Beautiful You, a Daily Guide to Radical Self-Acceptance, and in fact just did so in my current Jumpstart program because there was a woman on there saying that, you know, it's really hard for me to um, feel like I'm worth taking the time to do all of this meal prep that, you know, I need to do, making yeah. sure that I have healthy food. And, um, you know, I just feel like I'm not really worth it. And so I recommended your book. And and I would love for you to share with listeners sort of how the book is structured because it isn't like um, kind of you know, your typical self-help book um, in the way that right. it's structured. Well, I want to stop and say real quickly that what you just said about your work with PCOS Diva is exactly it. Like that's it where – you know, for a period of time, your own PCOS demanded a significant amount of your attention so you could get well. And that what you realized is you had a special set of gifts of understanding the condition and talking about it in a way that was accessible to people that could help other people begin to heal themselves. And and so that's exactly it where um, – you know, for a period of time, I know, and I know, you know, you and I have talked, and I have PCOS, and when you find that information out, you're like, you go into this tunnel, and it feels like I may not ever get out of this tunnel. Um, and, but but you did, and then you rec- recognize, like, wow, I've got this, this gift that I can give the world and um, help other people with their healing so they don't have to feel like they're stuck in this, you know, well for a period of time. And so I just wanted to, to acknowledge that that. I love that about what you're doing. Um, so for oh, Beautiful so. You, it really is um, now sort of the answer to the question, well, how did I get myself out of this, like, spiral of having had a way of viewing myself and having had a way of making demands on myself and creating a shift in my life? And for me, 
Um, I tend to be of the type of person who needs to build a foundation and then, like, just, you know, add a ring every day. And so that is what I try to do in my own, if you'll call it, recovery work, sort of recovering from perfectionism and all these these different sort of pressures that I had, was to say, all right, today I'm going to be about the process and what piece of the process do I want to focus on. And what I kept reminding myself is that the process itself was the goal, that if the effort I made today was worth it and I didn't have to be a different person at the end of the day, I had to have exercised um, philosophically exercised sort of the effort that I was looking for. Like I wanted a different feeling in my life and I wanted to behave in a way each day that allowed, that, you know, that allowed room for that. And so Beautiful You is really taking that approach that I had for myself and giving women a journey to do that for themselves. And so the way that it's structured is that it's a 365-day journey. You can start it any day of the year it is a short essay with a concept and then an exercise to do that day. Some of the exercises are reflective in nature, and so you're writing in a journal, and some of the exercises are action-oriented in nature. I want you to go to the store and get fitted for a bra. Um, it varies what it is, but all of it is around taking a small moment every day to listen to honor and respond to yourself and to engage in the process. So what's interesting is it's um, it's not me dictating what the journey looks like for you other than making suggestions for activities and some mindset instruction. It really is um, a bit of a choose-your-own adventure. And so for some women it looks some way, for some it looks the other way. Some activities don't resonate with the person, and I say, well, get that. Um, and some, you know, I've had a couple of people say, I have to keep going back to this one. I have to keep going back to this one, and I think that's okay, too. And so it's really sort of taking what works for you and amplifying it uh, and doing it in a way that allows you to really engage in process. Mm. And it's really powerful. And there, on day two, you have, you call it a pledge of allegiance to yourself. And I'm a huge fan of daily affirmations. And even, you know, I encourage clients to, you know, come up with affirmations that are authentic for you and to say them in front of the mirror. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Luke Pei talks about mirror work. And I just think it's so powerful. And I'm telling you, your your body warrior pledge here, oh, which thanks. is... It's an it's an affirmation. It is if you said this to yourself in the mirror every day, it would change everything. And I would love it's it's um, there's many points to it, but I just want to give listeners sort of a flavor. Um, sure. And I'm just going to read a couple um, lines from this. So the body okay. warrior pledge. Because I understand that my love and respect for my body are metaphors of my love and respect for myself and soul, I pledge 
to stop berating my body and to begin celebrating the vessel that I have been given. I will remember the amazing things my body has given me, the ability to experience the world with a breath of senses, the ability to perceive and express love, the ability to comfort and soothe, and the ability to fight, provide, and care for humanity. And there, there's several other points that I've highlighted because it really is aligned with sort of the, the PCOS diva um, philosophy, but to see exercise as a way to improve my internal health and strength instead of a way to fight or control my body. To understand that my weight is not good or bad, it's just a number, and I am only good. To love my body and myself today, I do not have to weigh 10 pounds less or have longer hair or have my degree in my hand to have worth. I am worth just as I am, and I embrace that power. To understand that a body, like a personality, is like a fingerprint, a wonderful embodiment of my uniqueness. And there's just many other points, but it's just this beautiful affirmation um, and... And I and I love it. I actually signed it because you have a signature that you made this mm-hmm. pledge. And I have Amy Medling, one nine, um, two thousand eleven was when I. Oh, I love it. Pledge. So, um, this book is just—it's worth it for the pledge alone, Rosie. <laughs> and more. You know, when I wrote that, I remember writing that, and I just thought about, wow, we operate under so many conditions like what are all the conditions I've ever had before and I thought about these things where I would say oh I I can't do that until this or I can't do that until this and I just thought wow if we put our lives on hold like that at the end of our lives we're just going to have a lot of regrets and no memories and that's just no way to live and and so for me it was this really liberating thing to put that all on paper and I like to encourage people to to maybe look at one or two and and say, similar to what you were saying about affirmations, like which one do I really need to remind myself about? Um, And so then it might be um, that to recognize my body's strengths becomes one's affirmation so that when they start to say something um, negative about, about their body, they instead sort of change the tone and say, I recognize my body's strengths, period. Um, I just think that can be really powerful in, in sort of shifting some of your energy. Mm. You know, you, what what you were just saying there um, reminded me of a quote by Diane Ackerman, uh, which I love. It's on my, my bulletin board here. Uh, I don't want to get to the end of my life and find that I've just lived the length of it. I want to live the width of it as well. And I yes. think that you can and that shifts when you do take this radical self-acceptance approach to life. Yeah, you know, and it's fascinating when you get there, when you even begin to start practicing it, you realize, wow, you know, for years I didn't do X because I was worried what other people would think of me. And the reality is other people aren't thinking of you. It's like they're worried about their own <laughs> stuff. And, right, and right. Um, you know, what I, one of the things that was so liberating for me to realize was People just want to be seen and heard and to feel like someone's trying to understand them. And so I can be paralyzed on a Saturday night about needing to go to some um, community event and in my closet trying on 17 things. But ultimately, if I just show up and engage with people, that is what they want. That is what they will remember. It won't matter to them if I have blue jeans on or the cutest dress ever. Like, 
And once I had this moment where I thought, nobody really cares. Like, I care, and I'm consumed by it. And someone might say, oh, that's a cute dress. But really, do they, do they care? They don't, they don't care. Um, and what they care about is connection. And we get connections the greatest gift we can give, and we get so distracted by these other things that we could be doing to look the part that we forget that we already have everything we need inside of us to give um, the people that we interact with a meaningful experience with us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in your book and uh, in your work, you talk about defining your own beautiful. Maybe you could give us some um, tips on how, how do we go about that process. I think it starts with what you started with, this idea of perfectionism and really letting perfectionism go. Because I think that so many of us know that perfect doesn't exist, but we have a caveat in our minds where we're like, but I'd like to be as close to it as possible. Um, so I'd like to be the best non-perfect person there is. And here is what I've realized really acutely in the last few years is that if perfect doesn't exist, which we would all agree that it doesn't, then actually imperfect can't exist either. Like there can't – the continuum can only exist mm. if there's a place to go on the other side and if there stops in between. And we all know that imperfect just isn't there. And so perfect is an idea and not a truth, which actually means – and perfect is totally a construct to sell us sort of this bag of goods um, or actions or insecurities. So if there's no perfect, then there can be no imperfect. There just isn't an opposite. And what it means is that we were all designed to be unique individual beings. We weren't mass-produced. We are each – we're like that fingerprint or that personality we were talking about earlier where we were each supposed to be – our own little works of art, like we are each our own little masterpiece. And so that's this really powerful thing, I think, to realize in your own reconciling beauty motion, um, effort is if there's no perfect, there can be no imperfect either. And so you can begin to let go of chasing as close to perfect as possible and begin to just step into your own truth, which is that you're not an accident. You're uniquely made. There was no mistake, and we're divine just as we are. And so then what that means for figuring out beauty and for you is that you get to decide what lights yourself, your soul and heart up. And you don't have to agree with anyone else's opinion. And so it's incredibly subjective. It is um, really about you claiming to be the authority, you choosing to be the authority in your own life. And I had this really great experience probably six years ago now with a young woman that I was mentoring. And we were driving home from lunch, and she was telling me about how there was another girl in her school that had just moved to school that had her name. It was a rare name. And she said, so I'm real worried. You know, I was real worried about it because, like, which which um, Sally was I going to be? Like, if 
And I was like, what do you mean by which Sally were you going to be? And she was like, well, was I going to be fat Sally or skinny Sally or pretty Sally or ugly Sally or smart Sally or dumb Sally? Like, you know, they were going to define the two of us and which one was I going to be? And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I'm sitting here driving trying to, trying to find words to respond to this. And she said, so I went into the cafeteria one day and there she was. And you know what? She is not ugly. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. This is when she tells me that, so that she's ugly Sally. And she looked at me and said, so here's what I figured out. We're just different kinds of pretty. And it was this great moment where I I couldn't have come up with that as eloquently in that moment. Mm-hmm. I was so panicked about finding the right words that I was definitely not going to find them. But that's exactly it. Like when we can begin to recognize that we're not meant to compare ourselves to other people and that we are meant to each be our own unique expression and that our bodies aren't benchmarks, there are vehicles for this world, and we have a responsibility to our bodies to take care of them, but that responsibility is around them running well, like the work that you do with PCOS Diva, and not around them looking a particular way. So our responsibility is not to match the standard of beauty that we're giving in the advertising world. Our responsibility is to feel well enough so we can go out and do what's on purpose and passionate for us. And so I think that that's the place where I want to encourage women to think about with beauty is to give up this idea that there is perfect and imperfect because there's not, to recognize how incredibly subjective it is, and the gift in that is that you get to be the decider about what is beautiful and meaningful for you, and then to operate from the sense of responsibility for caring for your body because it matters to you how it runs, not because it matters to you how it looks. Mm, I love that. And and I like what you said about choosing to be the authority of your life. And I think of the empowered diva. You know, we you know, are in essence the goddess of our own life. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and we have to sort of step up and take charge, um, and I, and I, you know, I, I love that you kind of brought that that out. The other right. thing that you've, you know, we've kind of been a theme in our our discussion is kind of moving beyond defining your beauty, moving beyond, so that then you can get on with your kind of your real work in the world and mm-hmm. um, connecting with your talents and your passions. And I have to say that women with PCOS are highly creative. And it's been my experience that those of us who are really suffering have lost that connection with their creativity. And mm-hmm. I would um, I would love for you to kind of maybe talk about how can you nurture, you know, your, your passions and creativity and kind of get to that place where, you know, you can connect with it again or even you know, connect with it at all if if you haven't right. yet. I'm not surprised to hear you say that, and I can see it for a couple different reasons. One is there's that perfectionism scope, right? So we get this diagnosis mm-hmm. and we think, wow, my body functions in a way that's different from other women, and so how can I compensate? How can I have something to offer now that my womanhood feels a little different, even though it doesn't have to be. Um, But then there's this other piece where you also feel kind of crummy when you have PCOS and it's sort of unmanaged. Um, 
and and so it's easy to have your spark go out. So I'm I'm not surprised to hear you say that. And I think that the thing that has to happen first for you to get that spark back is that you have to take care of yourself. You have to to do this thing that we don't like to hear, but is so important, and that is self care. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of women will say, I don't have the luxury of taking care of myself. Well, the reality is you don't have the luxury not to. Um, it's, it is so essential. And I think a lot of times we think of self-care as like, well, a spa day or a night out with girlfriends. And it does not have to be that significant of an undertaking. There are little things that every single one of us can do that you teach really well, Amy, um, almost every minute of the day that can make us feel better and that add up to a whole lot of self-care over time. Um, And so, you know, there are times where I feel run down and I know the thing that makes me feel better is to hop in the bath with Epsom salt and baking soda and an essential oil and it's super hot and I do it for 20 minutes and um, you know, it like I just like I will literally run out of putting my son down for bed and run to the bath and run that water and get that going and just do it for 20 minutes and then I'm out. But I feel so much better and I'm like that was mm-hmm. worth it because otherwise that 20 minutes had a much bigger exchange rate. And so I think it's important for women to identify some things that have a pretty big exchange rate for them for the effort. Drinking a whole lot of water might be it. What you eat for breakfast. You know, I, I would remember when I didn't, when I didn't have a better grasp on my PCOS, eating something and having it give me a stomach ache and then being like, oh, I don't feel great, but then eating it again. And then finally having this moment where I thought, I can actually not eat that. Like, I could choose to eat something else. And, and, and I thought, oh, well, for efficiency's sake, I'll eat that and it'll, you know, at least I'll get some food in me. Well, it's not worth the exchange rate if it gives me a stomachache all afternoon. But if I can mm. just put a little effort in thinking about, okay, how do I tweak my lunch so that it's something that doesn't make me feel that way? Um, and then I don't have a stomachache all afternoon. Well, that's certainly worth it. And so beginning to think about that, the question that I like to encourage women to ask is, what do I need right now more than anything else? And I like to encourage women to ask themselves that question every single day. And I want the answer to be small enough that it can be accomplished within 48 hours. And so the answer then isn't, oh, I need a trip to the Bahamas, right, because no one's running away for the Bahamas, like, tomorrow um, when they come up with the answer. Or if they are, it's a pretty rare opportunity And so what can you do in 48 hours to answer that question? Like, what can you give yourself? And so then the answers become, oh, I need to call my girlfriend and just decompress. I need to make a therapy appointment. I want to do some meal prep. Like, it becomes these things that really do make shifts and create shifts in our life around self-care that help us to feel better, to get sparked. And so for me, it's a question I ask daily. Um, and my rule is that if I am giving the answer, the same answer in 48 hours, so if I say today what I need right now more than anything else is a massage, and by Saturday I ask myself that question and I say a massage and and it's because I haven't booked the massage, then the, 
then I have a deeper issue I have to res- to to resolve within myself, which is why am I denying myself care? I wouldn't deny anyone else in my life that I love care, and so why am I denying myself care? Um, so that is where I say start, like to get your creative spark back, to get lit up, and to feel on passion and purpose. You have to start by making sure you're not operating on empty, which means dousing yourself in self-care. And then what I think you find is what's been my experience is that as you start to physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually feel better, um, then you start to say, wow, I had a little energy around that. And I had a little energy around that. And you start paying attention to your flashpoints. And for your flashpoints, you fuel those fires. So if you're like, wow, I really enjoyed volunteering in my son's art class today, then that's a piece where you're like, I need to pay attention to that. What's that telling me? Do I need to go buy some art supplies to have them at home? Or um, do I want to take an art class? Or, or what is that? So I think you start with layer upon layer of self-care. But we're not talking these complicated day-long organize a spa day with your girlfriends, which are awesome, but not always practical. Like I am talking about the dailiness of living, where you get you make a commitment to say, "I won't sit for more than forty-five minutes without standing up and stretching." Um, mm-hmm. And so you do that stuff, and then start paying attention as you start to feel better in those four sort of realms of well-being. You start paying attention to things beginning to get lit, and then you feel what lights. Mm, I love that concept. You know, speaking of paying attention, um, in the last year or so, I've noticed that whenever I get irritable and um, maybe a little down and depressed, and I know, you know, I was just attended the um, Androgen Excess PCOS meeting with all of the leading PCOS experts, and they were talking about women with PCOS are at five times the risk of depression. Um, But when I kind of look at myself when I'm feeling sort of depressed, I have to look at my self-care. You know, and and Mm -hmm. I would say nine times out of ten, if it's not food-related, because gluten, if it sneaks back in, makes me down and irritable and depressed, it probably has something to do with the lack of self-care. And, you know, I have to make sure that I... You know, make that 48. I love that 48-hour rule, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, and for me, baths are a great self-care. Um, and or getting myself to. I love Pure Bar, and that usually. Oh, I do too. I can get. Yeah. Oh, do you? <laughs> I yeah. think it's a great workout for women with PCOS. Um, there's like that mind-body connection. It's not too. Um, it doesn't think it overwhelms our adrenals. Right. Uh, yeah, it's we don't bulk up. But anyway, so I think being aware of when you are down, too, that's kind of a sign that, gee, maybe I need some more self-care and I need to make that 48-hour date with myself. Right. And then there's, I think, real power in sort of claiming it. You know, I mm-hmm. um, will sometimes say to my, my husband, this is something I'm incredibly anxious about. I don't want to talk about it. I just want you to know I'm anxious about it. And he'll be mm-hmm. like, okay, this is good to know. And I think it's good um, to become really aware of that and to share it with others so that they can offer you support um, and and to understand what's going on. And so all these things that you can do where you get to know yourself better um, allow you to treat treat 
yourself as sort of the guest star in your life, which you are. Um, you know, and that's not to say, this goes back to that self-acceptance piece, um, that you're better than anyone else, but if you're not the guest star to your life, then you can't go out and do what you're meant to do in the world. Yeah, and it, it's so important because we need we need more women with PCOS lit up in the world, and right. you know, shining shining their light. And and we have, you know, we have so many gifts to offer. And um, you know, I I just really encourage women to pick up a copy of Beautiful You and and start going through these daily steps because um you will find you know, you, were, you were talking about sort of finding what you like and and finding those light points and you give um women lots of different ideas in order to do right. that um so let so your book is available um through your website and on Amazon and maybe you could just mention um some of the other resources that you might have on your blog and I know you do retreats and, and that kind of thing I do so um, yeah, the, the book can be found anywhere, and I'm super excited to say that a second edition of it's coming out in November of this year where um, I updated about 25% of the content. There's a new forward, um, and so that'll, you know, there'll be a lot more activities around that. I'm working on a supplemental program for women who want to do the, the book maybe with some company, um, and so That'll be announced this fall. But in the meantime, I do um, one-on-one retreats via Skype or in person. And folks are local to the Charlotte, North Carolina area that you can learn about on my website under one-on-one. And then I do lots of speaking and workshops. I really like interactive workshops where it's not just me giving a keynote, but we are writing wellness prescriptions for ourselves or personal manifestos or writing mission statements where women leave with some real claiming about who they authentically are and what they intentionally want for the world and take that sort of home with them. And um, I have had women say, you know, I live in Tennessee. Will you come? And I've gone to Nashville and different places to do sort of two-day women's workshops, and I'm happy to talk to anyone about that, if that's interesting to their community. Um, but then also, like I said, you can work with me one-on-one if you'd like. Well, that sounds great. So I will definitely post a link under the podcast interview to your your blog and your resources and, um, and the book. And I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you just flew in this morning and um, fit fit me in, uh, but it's just been fantastic listening um, and learning about your mes- message of of self acceptance. So thank you, Rosie. Well, thank you. I learned so much from the work that you do. Thank you for doing what you do and doing it in such an accessible and empowering way. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. Well, everyone that's been listening, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to being on uh, another podcast with you very soon.